morning, good morning, church family. How are you guys doing this day? Good morning. Hey, happy spring, so I was told. Is today the first day of spring? Y'all don't know either, do you? <laughs> well, if it is, happy spring. I'm excited to be here with you today. Uh, man, we had a great worship service at the 8 o'clock, and I know God is going to move and do some incredible things this hour and at 11 o'clock as well. I want to welcome those of you joining us online. We're so glad to have you joining us as well. So most everything we do in life, we begin with the end in mind. I mean, think about it for just a moment. For those of you that can remember back to the years when you began high school, when you start high school, when you're that 14, 15, however old you are as a freshman, you begin high school, but when you begin, you begin high school thinking about the end. You're imagining yourself, you're seeing yourself walking across that stage and receiving that diploma, right? Then when you graduate high school and you start college, you think this is gonna take forever, this is never going to end, but when you start your freshman year of college, you imagine the career that you're going to launch into after graduation. You begin college with that end in mind, thinking about the career that you're gonna have. When you meet that special someone, guys, girls, you start imagining maybe that day when you'll both stand on a stage and say, I do. You imagine marriage. Then when you get married, you begin uh, imagining that day when you'll have lots of little kiddos running around the house. And so you begin imagining this family that you're gonna have and the results that'll be there with the, with the, within this marriage. And then when you have those kids in the house, parents, you begin imagining that sweet day when they'll all be out of the house and you'll have some peace, and, I hear an amen over here, you'll have some peace and quiet at home once again. For those of you launching into those career, you begin, you begin that career imagining the day when you'll be able to walk away from that career and that job and you'll be able to retire and enjoy the good life. You begin those things with the end in mind. When we do this with everything. When an athlete starts training, they train every single day with the end in mind. They imagine themselves on that day when they'll be able to stand on the podium and receive the gold medal or the trophy or whatever it is that they're training for. They begin with the end in mind. So if we do this with almost everything, why do we not do this when it comes to our spiritual lives? Why do we not do this when it comes to our spiritual maturity? Why do we do this in all these other things that really, at the end of the day, don't matter much, but yet the thing that matters the most, we tragically neglect? This morning, as we wrap up this series that we've been in over the last few weeks, uh, we've been in a, last, in a series called Healthy Church, and as we wrap this up this morning, we're gonna see that Paul in Philippians 1 is praying, but he's praying with the end in mind. Remember last week, Pastor Todd, he stood up here, and as he read and as he taught us from those scriptures, in verse six, he read this verse to us, and it says this. Paul says, I am sure of this. Paul said, I am sure of this, that he who began the good work in you will see it through to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Do you see that? Paul is praying with the end in mind. He's saying, listen, this work that God started, 
God's gonna see it through all the way to the end and he's gonna complete the work in you. Paul's praying for the church at Philippi and I believe he's praying the same thing for us today. I'm praying the same thing for us today. That the work that God has began in us, he will see it through to the end. He will complete this work in us. You see, Paul's praying with this end in mind. So today, as we look at Philippians chapter one, verses nine through 11, we're gonna see what the content of Paul's prayer is. He said it several times over the last few weeks. He says, I'm praying for you. Hey, I'm praying for you. Every time I thank God, uh, think of you, I thank God for you. I, I thank God with great joy in my heart. Paul says he's praying for the church at Philippi several times throughout these verses. And today we're gonna see what he's actually praying. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Philippians chapter one, starting in verse nine is where we'll be at today. If you're there, let me hear you say, I'm there. All right, it'll be on the screen as well. He says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Would you pray with me? Father, this is our prayer that you would do an amazing work in us. God, this work that you began in so many of us, God, that you would see it through to completion. God, that at the end of the day, our lives would be lives filled with the fruit of righteousness. God, I pray just like Paul prayed for the church at Philippi. God, I pray for the church at New Beginnings that we would be a church filled with the fruit of righteousness. God, that we would be a church abounding in love. God, this is our prayer. Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see. Give us wisdom to understand. It's in your precious son's name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. So right out of the gate, Paul says this word. He says, it's my prayer. Earlier on in verses three and four, Paul says, I'm praying for you. I pray with great joy in my heart, with great thing. I give thanks to God every time I think of you. And then here again in verse nine, Paul says, it is my prayer. So what's the point? I think we can learn something just from those couple of words that we see right there. The point is this, that Paul prayed for people. See, spiritually mature people pray for other people. Paul prayed all the time. You see, nothing defines a person's spiritual life like a person's prayer life. That's pretty good. You might want to write that one down. If you're taking notes, I would encourage you. Nothing defines a person's spiritual life like a person's prayer life. Paul knew this. He prayed frequently, he prayed often, he prayed fervently. He, he writes things like pray at all times, pray without ceasing. You remember that one? All the time, pray. You see, nothing measures the health of our spiritual life like our prayer life. Let me just go ahead and say it. If you're not praying, then guess what? You're not growing spiritually. Man, I've been challenged by this this last year. It wasn't until about a little over a year ago in January that our church as a whole really got serious about praying. And I thought I was a pretty good 
prayer up until that time, if that's even a word. It is now, right? Um, but man, God has been teaching me so much through our Wednesday night prayer gatherings about what it really looks like to come together as the saints and call upon the name of the Lord, humble ourselves before him, ask him to do what only he can do, not praying just for ourselves, but praying for all of you, praying for one another, interceding for the other saints in this room, praying. You see, I find it interesting whenever I look at the New Testament and when I look at Paul's prayers, Paul doesn't seem to pray like you and I do. Paul never asks for physical things. He never asks, asks for money. He never asks for comfort or convenience. He never asks for the easy road. He never asks for any of these things. He's always praying for spiritual things. He's always praying for things of the heart, things that really matter most. These are the things that Paul prays for. And in Philippians 1, Paul is really praying for one thing. How many, everybody say, one thing. Uh, you gotta wake up. Let's try that one more time. Paul is praying for one thing. Let me hear it louder. How many? One thing. In this prayer, Paul is praying for one thing. Here's what that one thing is. Spiritual maturity. He is wanting the church at Philippi to grow up. Parents, any of you ever say that to your kids? Man, I just need you to grow up. I, I can't wait till that day when you grow up and you mature and become everything that God has planned for you. Man, this is a spiritual father praying for his spiritual kids, the, the church at Philippi. See, Paul was the one that, was, that planted this church in Philippi 10 years previously. And now he's praying for them. He's saying, man, I'm praying that you would grow up and become all that God has planned for you to be. He's praying for their spiritual maturity. He wants them to reach different levels and reach the level that in the end is the level that God has for each and every one of them and for the, them as the church at large. You see, when it comes to spiritual maturity, here's what I know. Every single day, every believer, guess what, that's you and me, if you're a believer in this room and watching online. Every single day, every believer is either A, becoming more and more like Christ, or less and less like Christ. See, when it comes to spiritual maturity, it's been compared to swimming upstream against the current. Think about that. You're either fighting the current and progressing and moving forward or you're being swept downstream by the current of the culture. There is no happy medium. There is no standing still in a raging current. You're either fighting it and moving forward or you're being swept downstream. And so for us as believers, as the church at large, we're either moving forward and growing in maturity, growing in Christ, becoming more and more like him, or we're becoming less and less like him. But there is no coasting. There is no just treading water, so to speak. You're either growing or you're not. And so as we look at Paul's prayer this morning, I want us to see the marks of a mature believer 
in a healthy church. The first one, if you're taking notes, is this. It's found in that very first verse. A mature church is marked by love. Look what he says in verse nine. He says, it is my prayer that your love, that your what? Love, I'm gonna make sure you're with me, that your love may abound more and more. You see, Paul sets the foundation for all spiritual maturity in this verse. He's saying all spiritual maturity is built on the foundation of love. When I talk about love, and he uses this word abounding, here's what I want you to imagine. Imagine that I have a cup up here, and then I'm pouring this water into that cup. That word, and that cup begins to fill all the way up, and then that cup reaches the point where the water in that cup begins to overflow and spill over into other cups that are all around it. And then those cups begin to fill up, and then those cups overflow and spill into other cups all around them. This is the imagery that Paul is using here when he says, my prayer is that your love will abound more and more. It's this word that it would be overflowing, spilling over into, into the lives of others all around you. He's saying, as the church, I want you to grow up and to be filled up with the love of God so full that it begins to spill over out of your life and overflow into the lives of those around you. That's what Paul's saying when he says, my prayer is that your love will abound more and more and more. See, spiritual maturity is not about storing up more knowledge in your head but it's about abounding in love for God that transforms who you are and then begins to transform those around you. See, the Greek word that, that Paul uses here in this verse for love is the word agape. You've probably heard of that word before. Agape is the most common word for love in the New Testament. And here's why. Because it's the highest level of love. It's the highest form of love. See, agape means selfless unconditional. It is a God kind of love. So when Paul prays that we would abound in love, listen, he isn't just talking about some romantic kind of love that, that, that comes and goes. That's all the, the ooey gooey emotions that you feel when you first say, I, I think I'm in love. Paul's not talking about that kind of love when he says, I want your love to abound more and more. He's talking about a love of the will. That's what agape is. It is a love of the will. You see, agape is a love of choice. Agape love is an intentional, intentional in faithfulness and selflessness. This is the love that we see in John three sixteen. For God so agape the world that he did what? That he gave, right? Selfless. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Agape love is the love that you see nailed to the cross. It is Jesus beaten, broken, bleeding, Nails through his hands, arms stretched out. And even in that moment, he looks at those who just did this to him. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
You see what kind of love that is? That's agape love. See, we're commanded to love people not based on how we feel, not based on how we feel about them, even in the moment, or whether they deserve it or not. And Paul is praying that we would grow in the same kind of love that we've been given. We love because what? Because God first loved us. The Bible tells us that while we were yet sinners, that means while we were God's enemies, he loved us. See, God made the first move. He came towards us when we were unlovable. That's agape love. In John 13, Jesus uses, uh, he, Jesus is trying to help his disciples understand this connection between spiritual maturity and godly love. It'll be on the screens. John 13, 34 through 35 says this. This is Jesus talking. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. He says, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus said this, here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, the world will be able to tell that you belong to me by your spiritual maturity in how you love others around you. He's saying there's a, a world that's watching you, church, And he says, this is the most important thing, your love for one another, because the world will know that you're mine by the way that you agape, by the way that you selflessly, unconditionally love those around you, the other saints. And he's saying, let the world know what this kind of love is like by loving one another and showing them the love of Christ. You see, it's impossible to speak about this agape love without looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Some of you know that as the love chapter, right? Many of you have probably heard this at a wedding or two, but look at what Paul says as he sets love as the supreme marker and foundation for our spiritual maturity. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, guess what? I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Then he goes on to tell us why love is first. Here are all the things that flow from agape love. Listen, verse four, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, when I was young, in other words, when I was immature, I spoke like a child, but then I grew up, right? I I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. 
For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So guess what? Now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is what? Love. Let me ask you this morning, New Beginnings Church family, is this the kind of love that's abounding in you and through you? I, I had to be honest with myself this week, and actually the last two weeks, God has just been beating me up as I've looked at this. And I've had to say, man, I, I'm nowhere near where I should be. When I, when I see the description of the kind of love that should be ruling and reigning in my life, in the life of my family, in my relationships with others, I have to be brutally honest and go, man, I'm not even close to where I need to be. I don't think I'm the only one. But this is what Paul says should be. This is the kind of love that should be abounding in the saints, abounding in those who belong to the Lord. So how do we know if we're abounding in agape love? Paul says that this is going to overflow from our lives in two things, godly knowledge and spiritual discernment. Look again at verse nine. He says, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. See, Paul wasn't just praying for an abundance of love, but a love that would abound more and more in real knowledge. Everybody say knowledge. And all discernment. The word he uses for knowledge, I love the fact that he used this word in the original language. The word he uses for knowledge here means knowledge gained from personal experience. You're saying, well, what do you mean by that? Listen, it's not just a bunch of head knowledge. It's not a bunch of knowledge that I gained just by reading a bunch of books and getting more and more information. Like, let me give you an example. If I were to, I could, I could read all about the Grand Canyon. I could study it. I could read about it. I could learn all the, the histories and all the interesting facts about the Grand Canyon but that doesn't compare to actually going to the Grand Canyon and standing on the edge of the cliff and looking out and seeing the Grand Canyon, experiencing the Grand Canyon. That's what he's talking about here. He's saying, listen, this knowledge isn't just about head knowledge. This is about experiencing the love of God. It's about knowing him more and more and more. As I was reading this and studying this, thinking about this, I was reminded of the summer of 2004. The summer of 2004 in July, I met this tall, 5'10", brown-haired, green-eyed girl. And from the first conversation that I had with her, I walked away going, man, I wanna know her more. And then every conversation after that, I would leave going, man, I, I need to know more about her. I wanna know her more. And eventually, all of this knowing became to loving. I felt we fell in love. And then eventually, we got engaged and got married because I said, I want to know her more and more. And the more I got to know her, the more I loved her. And now the more I love her, the more I wanna know about her. You see how that works? And so when we said I do, it's because I wanna spend the rest of my life getting to know her and falling more and more in love with her. 
And this is what Paul is talking about when he's talking about knowledge and getting to know someone, getting to know God. He's saying, listen, you've got to know him. You've got to experience him. And the more you know God, the more you'll love him. And the more you love him, the more you're gonna wanna know about him and the more you're gonna wanna experience him. And this just keeps happening. It's, it keeps progressing. It, you never get to the end of this. You grow in knowledge. You grow in knowing and you start loving more and more and that love leads to wanting to know them more and more and more. So let me ask you this. Some of you may be sitting here today saying, man, I don't feel like I know God very well. And to that I would say, well, how much time are you spending with him? How much time are you getting to know him? Because Paul says the more you get to know him and the more you experience him, the more you'll love him. And the more you love him, the more you'll know him. I'm so thankful for a church that puts priority on getting in God's word and spending time in prayer. Because if you're taking notes, by the way, this, these are the two ways that you can get to know God. Spend time in his word, let him speak to you through his word, and spend time on your knees in prayer talking to him. And then a lot of times in prayer, spend less time talking and just sit in his presence. You see, when you really know someone, married couples, you'll be able to relate to this, when you really know someone and they know you, you can sit in a room and not say anything and just soak it all in and just be in their presence and you'll go, man, that was incredible. So I think a lot of times in our prayer life, sometimes we just need to be quiet and sit still and listen to God. Let him do more talking. You see, when you love someone, you'll want to know them as much as you possibly can. You'll want to know as much as you can about them. Paul goes on, and he pray, when he's praying, he says this. It's not just, but it doesn't end there. It's not just knowledge. He prayed that their hearts would overflow with godly knowledge, and the next word is discernment. Discernment is applied knowledge from those experiences to your everyday decisions, we could use a little bit of that in our lives, couldn't we? The best way to think of discernment is, is it is wisdom gained from knowledge and experience. It's the applied knowledge that we have to situations and circumstances. It's able to discern what is right, what is wrong, what is best. The, word, the, the world that we live in has completely hijacked the word love. They've taken it completely out of context so often the word love, when we hear it in our culture, refers to just affections, the way I feel in the moment. But this love is so much greater than, your, than our feelings. That's why oftentimes even believers get it confused and you'll hear people say things like this. They'll say, hey, love is blind, right, in our culture. Or hey, just follow your heart. Any of you ever heard that? Love is blind, follow your heart. Listen, love is not blind, and your heart cannot be trusted. Jeremiah says this, the human heart is deceitful above all things. It is desperately sick. Who can understand it? 
You see, you and I, we as the church, we are called to love, but we are called to love thoughtfully, selflessly, sacrificially. We are called to love, but with love with our eyes wide open to the realities around us. We need to see others for who they are. And guess what? Even in those moments, we still need to love them. We need to love them anyway. See, this love feeds godly knowledge and spiritual discernment. Love that has spiritual, spiritual discernment is love that gives you the clearest view of what matters most. What I love about the church and what Pastor Todd talked about even in week one was the way that God set up the church, that he put men of, of godly character, spiritual wisdom, spiritual discernment in charge of the church so that when we are blinded, when we can't see clearly, we have elders, pastors, and listen, other saints and other believers around us that love us enough to go, hey man, I don't know if you're seeing this right, but I see something in your life. I see you heading down a path and that path is gonna lead to destruction. I'm talking about sin. I'm talking about foolishness. I'm talking about things that when we get out of step, that God loves us enough to surround us with a community of people that love and care about you even more than you love and care about yourself sometimes. And they want nothing but the best for you. And so they lovingly will grab hold of you and correct you and try to get you back on the right path that God has for you. You see, in my family, love is kind and generous, but there's also times that love needs to discipline. Any, any amen from the parents out there? And the Bible talks all about that, right? He says the father doesn't spare. He loves his son, so he's not gonna spare him from discipline and correction. He loves him enough to say, listen, that's not a good choice. That's not wise. Don't go there. You're gonna hurt yourself. Any parents ever have to have that conversation? I'm so thankful that we have a church that has elders and pastors and leaders and fellow saints that love each other enough to speak the hard truth in love when they see a fellow brother or sister that can't see clearly, that has been blinded, that has been deceived, that's going down a wrong path. See, agape love, listen, is wrapped up in knowledge and operates with careful discernment not based on your own opinions, not based on my opinions, but listen, based on the truth of God's word. Knowledge and discernment, careful discernment based on the truth of God's word. The next mark we see when we look at this text is this, a mature church is marked by increasing purity. In verse 10, Paul says, he says all of this, this abounding love, this overflowing, this abounding love that's overflowing with knowledge and discernment is given to you, listen, so that you may approve and test what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. The word approve means to put something to the test. 
This is the word that he used to that was used back then to describe the process of testing metals to prove their worth. And in this text, Paul is saying, listen, I want you to overflow with love, but I want it to be fed by knowledge and discernment, comma, so that. It's not just pointless. It's not just aimless. He says, I want you to abound in love more and more and in knowledge and in discernment so that you can test everything, that you can test and approve what? What is excellent and be pure and blameless on the day of Christ Jesus. Paul says, I want you to test everything, everything. And listen, this isn't always about right and wrong. This isn't always about good and evil. Notice the word there, excellent. He says, I want you to test or approve everything and find out what's excellent. So a lot of times this knowledge and discernment, most of the time is also this. It's so that you and I can determine in our lives what is good and what is great, what is better and what is best. I've never been more convinced of this than I have been here lately is that we need this in our lives. We need this type of spiritual maturity. Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, I don't know if any of you have ever read that. He makes a statement in that book and he says this. He says, the greatest enemy of great is good. Let me say that again. He says, the enemy of great is good. You see, I don't think when it comes to the church and it comes to us, I don't think the enemy has to tempt us with, with good and bad or with evil and wicked things. The enemy's a little bit smarter than that. I think he knows that you and I would be able to see those things for the most part fairly clearly. But here's what I believe he's doing in most of our lives right now. He tempts us with a lot of good things, not bad things, a lot of good things, and distracts us and gets us busy, and we don't discern and test those things, which one is good and which one's great, and so we settle for a lot of good things, and our lives get so filled up with good things, and we're so busy that we miss the greater things. Does that make sense? Like, I believe with all my heart, because I look at my own life, and I go, man, these are good things, but are these the greatest thing? I think we as the church, you and I individually, men as the leaders in our families, we have to be willing to, you, to grow in abounding love, to grow in knowledge and discernment so that we can approve and test what is excellent and stop settling for what's just good. In our individual lives, in our families' lives, and in the life of our church. I'm so grateful again for this church here at New Beginnings that just a little over a year ago, your pastor, Pastor Todd and the elders, they looked at the things that we were doing as a church and they said, these are all good things. And they said, yeah, but is this the greatest thing? Is, are these things the best that we can be doing? And it was a little over a year ago that they said no. We're not gonna say yes to all these things because we wanna say yes to the greater thing. 
And so they started eliminating some good things in order that we could focus on the greater thing on Wednesday nights. And that is corporate prayer. That we would say no to anything that got in the way of corporate gathering and corporate prayer night on Wednesday nights. And and I'm here to tell you, it was the best thing we could have ever done. This church, your church, is not the same church it was just a little over a year ago. The Spirit of God has been moving and working and growing and maturing the saints in this room and on our Gilmer campus like never before. We have, been, we have seen fruit being produced, harvests, harvesting fruit. Amazing things have been happening in the life of this church. And it's all because our elders and our pastor were willing to test everything and say yes to the greater thing. They were willing to look at this and go, this is what we need to do. This is what's best. You see, we need this love and knowledge and discernment more than ever so that we can discern what is best. Look what Paul says in Romans 12. It'll be on the screen. Romans 12, chapter one, uh, verse one and two says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul's saying it is the love of God abounding in us and through us that positions us to know what is excellent, what is best. In other words, what God has for us as individuals and as the church. Paul says when a person lives this way, listen, they will eventually be able to stand before Jesus someday, pure and blameless. The word pure in the Greek is a word that means to be sincere, to be, found, to be found pure when examined by the sunlight. That's what that word means. As I was looking at this word, I found it interesting that Paul would use this word. I mean, that's kind of like the highest level, highest compliment you could give someone when you go, man, this person is just so genuine. They're so sincere. When you think of the English word sincere, here's where our English word sincere comes from. It actually comes from two words in Latin, sincera. Everybody say it like that, sincera. Uh, You gotta get with me, ready? Sincera. Here's what sincera means. You ready for this? This is gonna, without wax. You're thinking, Pastor Daniel has lost his mind up there. Without wax. Wait a minute, Paul, you're saying that we will someday will stand before Jesus pure without wax? Here, here's what he's saying in this language. Back in his day, in the marketplace, the dealers would make lots of statues and other things out of porcelain. And they would take porcelain, and a lot of times porcelain would break or fracture or crack. And so those, those porcelain dealers or statue dealers that were selling these things in the marketplace, they would take the broken pieces of the statue and they would take some wax and they would put it on there and they would stick it or glue it back together and then try to pass it off as authentic and genuine. And the only way you could test this is is when you were going into the marketplace to walk up and pick up this porcelain statue and hold it up into the sunlight. 
And when you held it up into the light, the light would expose the brokenness. The light would expose uh, the, the, the shattered pieces. The light would expose the wax. And so when the person selling the statues or the porcelain wanted you to know that this porcelain is without wax, this statue is without wax, they would say, this is sincera. This is sincere. This is genuine. This is pure. This is not broken. This is not fake. This is not phony. This is pure and this is the real deal. You see, someday Paul is thinking about you and me and he's saying there's coming a day for every single church member, for every single saint, when you will stand before the holy God in his light and he's either gonna find you fake and phony or you're going to be sincere, pure, genuine, and blameless. So let me ask you, church family, if you were to examine your own life today, if every area of your life was just brought out into the light, would it pass the test? Would it be pure? Would it be blameless? Would the websites that you've clicked on this week be pure? Would the motives of your heart be pure? Would your attitude and actions towards your family in private be the same as you are in public? This is what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, there's coming a day when you and I will stand before a holy God and everything will be laid bare. And by the way, if you're here today thinking, man, I got plenty of time. The scripture says, even now, nothing is hidden from the Lord. He searches the heart of every man and woman. He knows everything. That's the scary thing about Jesus when you read through the scripture. He knows what people are thinking before they ever say a word. And Paul's saying, there's coming a day in the end when you will stand before him. And my prayer for you is that the love of God would transform you so much that when you stand in his presence, you will be found pure and blameless. The last mark we see is this. A mature church is marked by fruit that glorifies God. See, verse 11, that's the, as Paul wraps up this prayer, this is the end that Paul had in mind. He says, it's my prayer. Remember, we started that at the beginning. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ and be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You see, the fruit of righteousness is the fruit of our salvation. It is the full-grown character of Christ in you. So Paul is saying, listen, there's coming a day when you're gonna stand before him and my prayer is that there will be a harvest of fruit in your life, that the Father will see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control because that is the character and nature of his son. In the end, Paul's saying, I want every single one of us to stand before the Father and the Father will have a hard time telling the difference between you 
and his son because you look so much like him. This is Paul's prayer. This is Paul praying with the end in mind. You see, fruit doesn't produce itself. It's born from a seed. And the seed of the fruit of righteousness is this. It is the abounding love of God. So let me ask you this this morning, New Beginnings. Have you experienced it? Do you know him and does he know you? And I'm not talking about just a bunch of head knowledge. When I was dead in my sin, I would have told you I knew God. I knew about God. I would have said, yeah, I believe there's a God. I know him. We're cool. Just by that statement, you would be able to go, no, you don't know him. You don't know him the way I know him. So this morning, as you hear Paul's prayer, as he prays with the end in mind, and you think about your own life, that there will be a day when every single saint will stand before the Father. Will you be found pure and blameless? Will your life be filled with the fruit of righteousness that is the character of Christ in you, the hope of glory? Will you be found in him? Will the Father look at you and say, that's my boy, that's my girl. They look just like my son, Jesus. I know them. And if you can't answer that question with 100% certainty today, then you don't need to leave here today without giving your life to Jesus and allowing the love of God to enter your heart and completely change you and transform you forever. If that's you and you're in here today, this morning, when I pray here in a few moments, all you've got to do is just say, God, I need you. I'm a broken mess. I'm not pure and blameless. There is so much sin in my life and I need you to come in and forgive me of all of my sin. I need you to do what I can't do for myself. I need you to clean me up. I need you to forgive me. I need you to make me whole. I need you to take my life and give me your sons. I need his righteousness. If that's you in a moment when I pray, We'll have prayer partners down front. In fact, you guys can go ahead and make your way down. They would love the opportunity to just pray with you, celebrate with you the new life that you've just been given. For the rest of us, here's what I want us to do this week. As we get ready to wrap up and leave this place, I want you to examine your life this week the way that I've had to examine mine over the past few weeks. Am I growing and abounding in love? Am I growing in knowledge and discernment? Or am I being swept downstream by the current of this world? It's like I said at the beginning, you're either becoming more and more like Christ every day or less like him. So as you leave this place today and you go into your life groups, you go about the rest of your week. In your quiet time, I want you to really examine your life. Ask yourself, am I growing or am I just going with the flow of the rest of the culture? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for who you are and what you've done. Thank you that you offer us the righteousness of your son.
Father, I pray if there is anyone in here today or anyone watching online that says, man, I, I, I don't know God. I know about him, but I don't know him. I have never experienced the love of God that this guy's talking about this morning. I've never experienced the kind of love that Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. I've never been transformed. I've never been made new. I've just tried my hardest to change my behaviors. I've been white knuckling it all my life, trying to be a better person. But I want you to know today that God did not send his son to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And so if that's you today and you realize, man, I am dead in my sins, I need Jesus, then today is your day. All you've gotta do is ask him to come into your life, forgive you of your sins, be the Lord and Savior of your life. Father, you know every heart, you know every thought before one of them escapes our mouth God, I pray right now, if there's anyone in here that doesn't know you, that your spirit would show them that they need you, that, that they would just cry out to you and ask you to be Lord of their life. Father, for the rest of us, may we examine our lives. May we grow in abounding love, wisdom, and discernment. May we become more like your son. It's in his name we pray, amen.